Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wild Ones Podcast. I am your host, Chris Cox, and we have a great episode for you all today. My guest, through her introduction, will let you know very quickly why she is a wild, someone who works in her love daily. She's a teacher of history, a literacy advocate, and a homework center coordinator, uh, or her time working as a labor relations organizer and a former president of the Hillside, New Jersey Board of Education. Mayor Dahlia Vertrice is someone who definitely works in love daily. So help me welcome to the podcast, Mayor Dahlia Vertrice. Thank you for having me on, Chris. You um, give me one of those fake claps and you're like... <laughs> I will. I'll put the, I'll put that sound effect in there for you. I will. I, I, I will. Since you requested it, it's going in. There you go. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, we kind of talked briefly about how nobody wants to really talk about politics and government um, because we haven't really uh, humanized that work. Um, when you run for office, you get elected office, it's almost like you morph into your title and not your your personhood. So I appreciate you having me on today. Well, yes, thank you. I do want to say, and I, and I kind of spaced it before we started doing this before the intro, how would you like to be addressed during the podcast? Because I want to pay all the respect to your titles because you've earned it. So please let me know how I should address you. The easiest thing is mayor. That's okay. fine. Yeah. Mayor, yes. Madam Mayor. No. <laughs> <laughs> So we have on the, I'm glad you're on the show and you are the mayor and you're mayor of Hillside, New Jersey. And I am just super excited because I would like for you to detail what your process, what the journey was from uh, before little mayor <laughs> and all the way, you know, growing up uh, in New Jersey and going to school and, and what different, turns and what different events led you to running for mayor and then winning and, and then now you're in this like seat of power the position of power so you uh kind of lead everybody into what that journey was oh yeah talk about my childhood oh my goodness so um they call me space cadet in nursery school and probably suffer from ADHD or something like that. <laughs> but um was always just very um, focused on what I was doing. Um, Self-challenging child that didn't really compete with other people or like measure myself up to other kids, but was also very like friendly. So uh, it, and as I've gotten older, that has served me well. Like I definitely journal and I assess, and like you said, I was an educator. So um, reflection is key to making your lessons better. And one of the things that my husband said to me, he was like, you know, one of the things I love about you is that you wake up and you try to be a better person every day. Every day, I just try to do something better than I did it yesterday. So even from my tender years, um, I was just a very in inflective person. I used to go inside, but then when it was time for me to go outside, I definitely made sure I took care of my community, um, as even in the classroom. So my father, like you said, was a North police officer, um, and I think he was 36 years in, 
And he was really, really um, instrumental in becoming like president of what is known as the Bronze Shields, which was an organization primarily for uh, African-American police officers um, and Latinos, uh, which were systematically excluded from the police department. Um, and if they did get in, they didn't get promotions. So he, with a group of other police officers, organized organizer, uh, organized and started to make pathways for Black and Brown people to get opportunities first and foremost, but also to be promoted. Um, with his organization, the Brown Shields, every morning since I can remember at Christmas time, I woke up and had to go and give Christmas gifts to um, children that, you know, their parents couldn't afford it. Um, their parents might have had drug problems, um, may have just been released from prison. And it wasn't something that, like, um, you know, a lot of people give, like, toy drives and stuff. But they don't really, and I don't know if they don't have access to people who are struggling. But the beauty of that program was that the police officers would refer um, the the families. So these were really like people who were struggling, whose kids were not going to have Christmas. Um, they used to provide breakfast every morning. And we had to wake up before we could ever touch our Christmas gifts, before we could ever do anything for our family, we had to do for someone else. And my mother and father participated in that. Um, my mom, as a nurse, you know, she organized a lot of clinics around Newark. Um, she um, was the vice president of um, nursing for Brooklyn Hospital as well as um, Brooklyn. And then she became the director of health and human services for East Orange, New Jersey, which is where I'm originally from. Um, but I spent an inordinate amount of time in Newark, New Jersey. Hillside is just beyond Newark. It's the, my backyard actually is Newark. <laughs> and um, I just moved here uh, because this is where I found the house. And um, based on my income, you know, this was where I could live. Right. And I loved it here. And I like my neighbors. It's quiet. It's a beautiful town. So my, my husband and I decided to stay. Never, ever intended to be mayor. But as I look back on my college years, and I'm bringing it back again, I'm, you know, yeah. I look back on my college years, I was always like hunting down, organizing, working to do this for kids that can't go home um, during the holidays. Um, you know, it's Thanksgiving. Let's have a Thanksgiving dinner. Let's all come together. We're going to cook and make sure that, you know, these people that have to be left on campus that can't go home, that they know that, you know, we have a family environment. So, and, those programs are still going on to this day yes, at that's, my college. That's awesome. And can I just say for people that don't know um, how important having that is? Because I went to school far away from where I was from. Too. I went to school in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, and I'm originally from New York City. So there was a pocket of us that were like from York or like Texas or whatever it is. And so to be able to have a Thanksgiving meal you know, and the food that you eat and how you cook it and have it together, being able to have that on campus hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away is so important for your spirit to stay at that school. Like you're talking about retention rates 
things like that keep kids out of school that is far away from their home, especially us, especially kids of color who are, some of us are traveling outside of their home neighborhood for the first time ever, you know, or for the first time since they were like five or six years old. So to have that, to have you organizing that, or to be able to wake up every morning as a child and see what it does for someone's spirit firsthand to receive something that they would not have received before. I think it was all kind of molding you and leading you or giving you that experience to pull from to be mayor, even though if you wasn't looking for it, it was kind of setting you up to be that. And, and that's what that reflection is. It's like you go back and you're like, well, how did I wind up here? And and there, I forget who says, but every decision you make, you know, it's steering you down a different road. Um, the cool thing is um, I was listening to this guy, um, Addison, and he was like, you know, the, the interesting thing about the word decide and he's like, you know, you have homicide, you got suicide, and that is the end of something, right? So when you decide, you cut off all other options. And it does, it leads you down whatever road you have really decided. So if you haven't decided, then maybe you're at a crossroads. But once you decide, you realize that that's it. Like, this is the path you're taking, and you need to make your work. That's cool. I've never heard that before. I'm using I'm a coach, so I'm gonna use that today when I have my kids at practice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm stealing it. I'm letting you know now I'm stealing it. And I'm gonna use that today. That is really good. I've never ever heard that described that way, but it makes sense. You made that you decide to do something, so you kill or remove other options and you just live with it as you go. So that's great. Good. And so that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So you didn't steal it. I gave it to you. Somebody oh, thank you. To yes. I, well, I'm yeah. gratefully and thankfully going to take that, <laughs> that today. And then, so you're at college, you're creating these programs at college to, to have um, family away from home, to help people feel like they can still have a Thanksgiving. And so you're organizing and putting together. And so now what are we doing after, or may I ask you, where did you go to school? Like I know because I read your bio, but if you feel comfortable with telling everybody where you went to school and why those, uh, why organizing organizing those meals were important. So I went to the University of Arkansas. Um, I am originally from I said, New Jersey, so I went to the University of Arkansas because the out of state tuition was cheaper than in state tuition. It's a D one education. And I wanted that experience. And it was just an opportunity for me to grow as an individual away from my parents. And, um, you know, my mom and dad, of course, they missed me, but they were always like, we have to trust the way we raised you. If, you know, we keep you on our hip and we're like, you can't and you won't. And so they said they were very supportive. We miss you. We understand. But um, I needed to grow as an individual and decide. Um, what I was going to do with my life. And I couldn't do that here in New But that's why, you know, I guess it gives you insight. And that that really is diversity and inclusion. When we think of those words, we always think of, you know, someone's social identity or affiliations. But sometimes it's just a different way of looking at things. And had I not come from out of state, 
um, maybe I wouldn't have been sensitive to the fact that their kids are going to be left on campus and didn't have a Thanksgiving meal. Um, so being able to see a need that other people don't see because we take it for granted is the importance of diversity and inclusion. And, um, and I was different just because I'm from the North and, you know, they would constantly call me Yankee or Jersey. Um, and I used to always say, like, I'm not a white guy from Massachusetts. Like, stop calling me a Yankee, but I'm a history person. So most people don't. <laughs> That's where <laughs> you replying back to him with inside this is and they're like, I don't I don't get what you're saying. Like right, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're so wrong. Please, if you're gonna refer to re refer to me in a derogatory fashion, at least do it right. <laughs> right. Just Be correct about it. Yes. Um, but then after school, I I became a paralegal and I worked for um a major box company and then decided to come home. And when I came home, continued that paralegal work and labor and employment. And I liked it, but it wasn't as fulfilling. Went into the North Public Schools as a labor relations specialist and started working with unions. And um, always tried to be fair. Um, wanted to protect my employer. Um, but I know that no employer is anything without employees. But they can't bankrupt the company. So... Right. <laughs> It was often um, balancing that fine line, but both sides appreciated my work. Um, but then my father passed away. My father passed away in 2007 and it hit me really, really hard. So when you're going in, and, and I believe it all day, like don't make a decision when you're grieving. Um, but I did and I decided to give back. So I went into the classroom to teach history and I loved it. Like that was the like one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, loved being a teacher. It was such a filling career for me. I probably would have still been there if I could have afforded it. But I got right. priced out of the classroom. I had one kid too many. <laughs> <laughs> so by my third baby, um, you know, I had to fall back on my old um, position, which is a labor relations specialist. But this time, instead of working for management, now I work for the labor unions. So um, I work for the International Union of Operating Engineers. Um, you probably see them there in every state. It's one of the largest unions in America. Um, and because I started working for the labor unions, I went into something called the Labor Candidate School. <laughs> And I didn't know what that was when I first, I was like, why am I going, okay, well, maybe I have to figure out how labor people deal with politicians. Maybe I have to be aware of some things. And so taking this class and I'm learning how to do stump speeches and fundraising and what elect is, which is what monitors your, your fundraising efforts, make sure you're not getting any, you know, uh, black or dark money or whatever. And, and then after I went, I got these high marks and they told my boss, you know, you got to get her in politics. She's going to be great. This kind of other. So six months later, I wound up on the school board and okay. I was appointed because someone had vacated their seat. And then that next year I had to run for a re-election. And then that's when I was appointed. Wow. And because I ran that well, and because I was a teacher, I love school board. I love school yeah. board. It's a voluntary position in every community, but people take it for granted. 
and every school district has the majority of your tax dollars. So it's disgusting how people don't pay attention to what is going on at the school board. And they have all your money. They usually, like in Hillside, they have like 60% of our dollars. It's so powerful. It's so important. It's so funny you said it. It's like some people take it for granted and then some people abuse it. And it's like, how do you find that middle ground? You find that gap that people really want to do something good. Because when you see good school boards and good, you know, when you see good school districts or good schools, it's usually they have a really strong school board. That's right. And I want to ask, I want to backtrack a little bit just because I'm very, I'm always interested in what people choose to go into, especially in school. Why history? Because I I like history too. I'm not in the point where I'm going to memorize everything, but I like certain aspects of history. And so I want to know why, why history for you? Why was history like your thing that you wanted to study? So you know, interestingly enough that you said like you don't like to memorize or remember. That was like the worst way you could teach history. Um, there are some things that you can learn rote, like the presidents in sequential order. Mm-hmm. And I say that because there are towns and cities that they've named the streets so if you get lost, yeah. then you know, like, oh, okay, this is Adams Street, so then I can I know where Washington is, like that's gonna be, you know, that way. But other than that, you don't memorize for history. Like history is a way in which you make connections and you get to meet people that you will never ever meet. Like you these really cool, interesting people um who have created our society. And then you get to compare and contrast America to Europe. And because I did AP Europe as well. And of course, that would that bubbled into sociology as well as Holocaust and genocide. So it really is the study of people, and people often mistake economics for finance. And economics is also a social study. Yeah. So all of these are these humanities are are connected in the way in which they study people. And as I said in the beginning, I've always been a very um, you know, reflective person and kind of introverted, but at the same time, like I love people. I love watching people. I love listening to people, analyzing personalities, figuring out who's the ringleader, who's the centrifugal force of chaos. You know, um, there's always like that one person that's like causing all kind of havoc between other people and that those other people don't even realize that they're being played out. So (laughs) I, I just, I love watching that stuff and analyzing, um, you know, what people are doing in any community. And and you have to understand that as an educator, for every last one of my classes, every class was a community. I have all these different personalities. They have all these different families that they bring into the classroom with them. So you're not just teaching 25 kids. You're probably teaching in that moment, a hundred people, because if you teach those kids properly, they're going to bring that knowledge to their siblings, their parents, their community. So it's still a little microcosm community. And so, and people don't often think of, you know, every single setting that you're in where you have groups of people, that's a community. Um, so that's why I chose history. Like I loved learning about people and their ideas and their thoughts and what wasn't listened to, who was right. Uh, where should we have gone, but we didn't, and why, who manipulated who to get what. Um, When people assume everything is about money, sometimes I'm like, ego, 
Oh my God. <laughs> Ego drives us to do some of the dumbest things. Yes. And so many people wind up hurt and lost because of it. Man, I'm ready to go back to school. I want to be in your class because I, history for me, the stories were good. The stories and little side bits of information that I love. The dates, the times, some of that stuff, like you said, memorizing it in rote fan fashion, that wasn't for me. But I want to be in your class. I wanted to wish I would have had more teachers like you that treated every classroom as a community. Like, it's such a simple saying, but it's such an awesome thing to hear, especially as a football coach and being in the school district and being in the schools and trying to have that same type of feeling with the players. Because I get a new team every year because I teach, I coach eighth grade football. So every year I get a new batch of eighth graders and it is a new community with, with ups and downs, highs and lows, different connections. But to hear a teacher speak about it and say every classroom I had as a community and I'm not teaching the 25 kids, I'm teaching the 100 people that they're possibly going to take this information back to. And which then goes back to the the wider use, you know, you know, it takes a village. And so I, I just I just wanted to really shout that out because I, I it makes me excited as an adult. Like I would have loved to be in that class. And so I can hear your passion when you're talking. And I like see it and I feel it. And I'm like jacked. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go study something right now. <laughs> like I'm ready to study. Like coach put me in the game. I'm ready to study. I got the two. I got the answer. So kudos to you. I wish you could have still been a teacher because there's so many people that could be experiencing this now. But I'm glad you're in the position you are because it's almost an even wider platform. Well, that was the thing, right? I also grew my lessons. Remember, I, you know, as a, a double minority, particularly a Black female history teacher, I was a unicorn. So, you know, Black people teaching history, it, there's not a whole lot of us. But when you're a Black woman teaching history, it, the, the numbers get even smaller. But because typically history is taught by white males and it's not taught from a lens of the people who lost or the people who, you know, just don't have a voice. Um, and we see the struggles even today, like the crazy critical race theory, like anger yes. towards something that is taught in grad school. Like <laughs> it has nothing to do with the, the primary, middle and high school, but um, just not wanting to interweave those other stories as you're teaching history. No one's saying that Don Adams is not important. No one is saying that Abraham Lincoln is not important. But if we're going to teach Abraham Lincoln, we also have to talk about Frederick Douglass. There would be no Emancipation Proclamation without that conversation. So, you know, how do you leave that out of that and just say, oh, yeah, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, he just came up with this idea all by himself. <laughs> oh, uh, and we know <laughs> that doesn't exist anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't exist anywhere. Somebody had to help you write it. Somebody's helping you listen. Someone's helping you edit someone is saying what time frame you should release it in a lot of people don't even know that like this is why we have watch night service right you go to church 10 uh, december 31st it's january 1st 1863 wow. we came out free right That's nice yeah it's a proclamation but who's actually explaining that to a class of black and brown kids they just go to church 
and that, yeah, and that's it. And you don't understand the reasons why you do certain things. Right. And and isn't the old adage? And, and like you said, it, it blows my mind too. And I look at it, and you hear the news, and you see it. And it's like, but isn't the old adage, if you fail to learn your history, then you're doomed to repeat it. And it's like, how can we so easily say that and spit out that phrase, that adage to people, but then so easily on the flip side decide? No, we're just going to cut out a huge chunk of history because we don't like the way we look in it. You know, that's like cropping. That's like cropping your friend out of a picture for Instagram. Like, mm, I don't really like the way she looks, but she's still my friend, though. But is he really if you're cropping out, you know, so it's it's very it's hard to to juxtapose the two. You mm -hmm. need to have all of history so that we can understand and not do the same things. And we're not here having the same conversation 50 years later. Right. And heal. Right. It's it's still healing. You can't heal unless you face your demons. You just can't. You'll just keep on repeating the same crazy stuff and finding reasons to justify why you did it. But at night, you still can't sleep. I mean, it's the same. It's what we're going through right now. You know, we're sitting here. We're talking about how divided the country is. And yeah, it's the lack of information. It's assuming things about other people and believing what people tell you instead of doing your own research and actually talking to your neighbors, you know, getting off social media and actually when you're, you know, you're around people, ask why certain things are the way they are. You know, most people want to talk to other folks. They really do. They just, you have to be open to just... You know, look at a conversation piece. Yeah. Oh alert. my gosh, look at your shirt. Why are you have an Arkansas shirt on? Are you from yeah. Arkansas? Like, take that opportunity. Yeah, learn someone past their dislikes. I had a conversation with a friend of mine's, you know, a couple months ago, and we were talking about very similar situation. It was like we can have better conversations and we can have hard conversations if we're able to just get past what we disagree or what we don't like about that person. Because if the only thing keeping us at the table is what you and I disagree on, then we're never or very rarely are we going to find something we agree on. But if I can connect with you past that disagreement, like you said, oh, so you're a Razorback or how was it? Blah, blah, blah. You know, what was it like in the stadium? What was it? You know, if I can connect with you something past our disagreement, we can find a way to actually talk as two humans and right. meet in the middle and if more people felt that way or even just understood that mm -hmm. you'd have less dissent and less opposition than we currently have and we would still have a lot but we would have less and we'd be able to get when people always say well, we got to get to the table yeah but if we're only coming to the table because i want to tell you you're wrong right here are the hundred reasons why you're wrong. No one's going to sit through that. No one's going to want to deal with that. They am like, no, I don't want to listen to you. Agree to disagree the cop out and we move on. Right. So we got to, we got to get past that and connect with one another. It's so true. Like positivity doesn't get any love boy. You will hear so much negative, all the complaints, but to say like what someone is doing good or even there are so many people that know about the good, but they just don't say anything. <laughs> They're just like taking it for granted. Like, oh yeah, you're supposed to do good. 
like you said, give people their flowers now, give people a pat on the back while they're doing the work. But in regular life, and people do great things every day and it's in silence, you know, but the bad stuff is just blown so far out of proportion and we just focus way too much on it. So I agree. Yes. So, so we're, so we're working in, in labor where you did exceptionally high in uh, your class and they're recommending you for politics. You're on the school board, you're appointed and then you run again and you get appointed again for a second term on the school board. I No, no, no. I don't have to get appointed because oh. I was elected. You were elected. Yeah. Excuse me. Right. Elected. So you're elected to the school board. Now, what, after you're on the school board now, now where do we start getting into like, okay, I'm going to public office track. Like where do we go from there? So I was still um, amicable with my local democratic party at that time. Um, and really what the school board needed, which is organization, someone to run the meetings, be more responsible, open in the public. I had kids in the school system, so people saw me all the time. And there was contention over who was going to run for mayor. And there were about four other people who wanted to run. And really, you know, nobody was really exciting to the party at that time and you know my boss was really excited about the prospect of running from there me not so much like i said <laughs> i really liked school board i liked it it was my thing it was voluntary you know it was no skin off my back people appreciated the work um i was there fighting for teachers so it was, it was cool and then my husband was like, you go up and down the state. I'll never forget. He, you know, he was very frustrated. He's like, you go up and down the state every day. You save people's jobs. You help them. You do things for them. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, but your own community is falling around your ears and you don't want to step up. Hmm. Shout out to the supportive husbands out there. It's like, <laughs> you can do this. Because I tell you what, I would not be in this position if it wasn't for my wife. I give her all the credit in the world. So, yes, yeah, shout out to the supportive husbands. You could do this, baby. Save the world. No, it's, it's, it wasn't if I could do it. Do I want to do it? <laughs> Go save the world. Listen, Go do it. I, like, I want to help. Because like you said, that stuff is taken for granted. Yes. People are abusive and disrespectful to politicians. You put yourself in the line that they don't see anybody else's responsibility in the community and things that they do that are obstructionist and hurt the community and everything that goes wrong is your fault. So it's, it is really, dude, you want me to go and matter. So, but it was just, you know, a lot of encouragement, talk to some neighbors, you're going to be a great mayor, this is great for you. And then finally I say yes. The labor unions were very, very supportive. They raised the majority of money. They even took over the campaign when we went into a runoff. <laughs> so the labor unions were like running the campaign, making phone calls, increased uh, voter turnout by like 31%. Um, New Jersey has one, I think they're still the only labor candidate school um, for the AFL-CIO. So um, in addition to the AFL-CIO, I also belong to a, a group called Emerge, and they actually train women to run for office. They don't raise money for you, 
They tell change. you you have to. They don't endorse anyone. There are other organizations that you can get in for that kind of stuff. Fire Heights and uh, Emily's List and some other organizations that encourage you to run for office. But um, in, in New Jersey, it was Emerge and the AFL-CIO that kind of helped me understand what I was getting into so that I wouldn't be manipulated and um, intimidated into office. And there aren't a whole lot of people who had um, that privilege and that knowledge before getting into office. So they just kind of got into office and then they just did whatever party told them to do. And I didn't do that. So I am in a nonpartisan town. So we're not, you know, Democrat or Republican, but um, that's when I lost some of the support from the Democratic Party because I chose to raise my own money and run candidates and actually continue to just do the work of the community. That's awesome. See, that's given a whole do a whole new spin to politicians. Like you said, you, you become a politician, you cease to be a person. Right. People just attack you for what that word politician means because it's there's so much fear. There's so much fear. There's so much lack of trust that's bundled up in that word and you cease to be a person. And like credit to you to say, no, I'm going to do this to show people that I'm just here to do work for everybody else. And then, so you get elected, obviously, because you're right. Madam Mayor and you are elected. And so you, you get in the office and I assume you hit the ground running. What was like day one, like of being the mayor? Day one being the mayor. Um, that was just a reflection moment. That was like, I'm the mayor. I'm really a mayor. Um, but we worked hard for it. Um, but then you started to see what you inherited, right? And there were things that hadn't been touched in years. There were um, a lot of problems with employees. And then you had to like encourage people to trust you and to let you know, let them know that. You weren't going to be an oppressor. You weren't going to come in and yell at them or send people to the hospital. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I have weekly meetings with my directors. You know, just constantly checking in. Um, and trust is everything. They have to, you know, people, particularly people who work for the township, have to know that you have their best interests at heart, and that you will try to work with them and satisfy their needs. But again, not to the detriment of the township. And some understood that and some did not. And it's unfortunate because you never want to, um, you know, have enemies or burn bridges. But there sometimes you just come across people who are really, really entitled and they just want to do whatever they want to do. And if you're not going to, to push forth the community, then you don't really belong in public office. Like you can yeah. be, you know, selfish all you want to, but this isn't, you know, this is a community service job. You you can't do that. So the the it the the first term was very, very difficult. Um and then like I said, within like six months, I decided to have a fundraiser and the Democratic Party was like, like you're it's over. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, but you know, keep going. You keep doing the work. The people elected you to do the work. 
you know. And and I mean, it's obviously a passion. It's obviously a passion for you to do this work and to be within your community. And I imagine you're a mayor that is constantly out in your community. Can you talk about some of those like events or organizations or just things that you're out that you're like, I'm the new face of a politician and I want to be out among the community. Can you talk about what that's like or how you're doing that? Absolutely. So um, I, I want to be the mayor that I wanted in a mayor and um, making sure people know that you're a wife and a mother is important. So every year I send out Christmas cards with my family and it is still a gift to you. It's like a reminder that my family to do this work is sacrificing their mom as well. But it's a reminder that like every member of my family is knit in this work. And I'm telling you, please remember my family. Like no matter what happens, if you see my kid in the street doing something, <laughs> you're the mayor's son. <laughs> see you that's gotta be hard too i was that was that's gotta be hard to be you're the mayor's child like that's gotta be a whole thing in itself um not really um my kids haven't really expressed that other people have made it difficult for them i think for them um the hard part is my time you know there are days that mommy doesn't get home to read your book before you go to sleep. There are days that I'm not home to tuck you in or there are events that I miss. Um, for them, that's that's the hard part, but they also understand. My boys are very, very understanding um, and I try my best to make it up to them. Um, however I can, sometimes you just, you know, people ask me all the time, well, how do you balance? I'm like, man, I fail at something every day, something, something i'm still a full-time worker at local 68 so you know i still do that but then i miss an email or a phone call or a meeting same thing in the township there's something that i just can't go to because i have to do something for my job or i have to do something for my kid and so you, you know the meaning of balance is just understanding that whatever you say yes to you say no to something else right that's all awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's that's cool because you're still out there doing it. I mean, and you're oh, doing yeah. it honestly. And, and what I mean by honest is is you're saying, you know, like you said, there's something I feel at every day and there's something I got to make up to my kids one day. And that's not always what they show when you see the TV politician or the TV mayor. They always solve the crisis in 45 minutes. And then the right. show, <laughs> at the end of the show, you know it's going to be world peace. That, that missile is not going to be launched or whatever it may be. And right. so do you be say, well, no, something's got to carry over to the next day or the next day. And I'm just out here working and making sure I'm doing the best I can do for everybody with my limited, you know, 16 hours a day or whatever it may be. So I mean, you have to because like my first term, it was one of our worst snowstorms ever in like history where we had like, they, they broke our, our machines. Our machines, <laughs> snow was so heavy that our machines couldn't lift it and they like broke because they were so old, but we got through it. Some of it, we, you know, helped people shoveling out. Like it was, you know, I had to put my boots on 
had to put my boots on, make sure I go out there and get everybody where they need to be so that we can dig out. Then we get the pandemic. Then we get Hurricane Ida. Which wow. I was like, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> so so you you event, you tested, you are certified. You can't nobody oh tell you, you can't nobody tell you you didn't do your job because you had crisis after crisis after crisis. And and be like and and things that were new, like right. COVID was new. No one knew how to deal with that. What the longevity of it? What we're still feeling effects from. I mean, right. and not just from the disease, but from kids having to do virtual learning and how that has affected them as they're going back to school. And there, you know, the studies that there is an effect, and that mm -hmm. there's a negative and there's a positive effect in it. And right. so, I mean, you had to sit there and, and be the leader of leaders among that. So yep. that we were, first, we were the first town to do uh, food drives. And then I was delivering to the seniors. Because you asked how I do this, you know, what I actually do to get this work out there. Um, I still do Storytime Tuesdays, which is virtually where I read books to kids. And parents love it because... They're like, sometimes we get homely, we're in the car, we'll pop on Storytime Tuesday, the babies listen to you read, put them right in the bed. Um, even when we were doing the food distributions, you know, parents were like, oh, she loves your Storytime Tuesday. Thank you so much, you know, doing that. Um, it just helps me out. I'm shopping and, you know, she's listening to your Storytime Tuesday on my on my, my cell phone. Um, let's say we had our first turkey drives, we were on the block. We try to do so many family-friendly um, activities. This is the second year we've had a full-day summer camp, and um, the kids love it. I mean, we spoil them, and I spoil my kids, so I don't know how to treat anybody else. Like, I'm just, even as a teacher, I would spoil my high school kids, bring them breakfast, make sure they always have food in the classroom, like, um not like whole meals or anything, but, you know, Nutri-Grains, making sure that they were good for the day. Um, and I just, I wanted to see the mayor be the mayor in that capacity. Like the business will always be there. And it's people that make a whole lot more money than I do to make sure the business gets done. Um, but I'm definitely there to, um, you know, foster the vision, make sure that the township isn't um, a hurt and just making good decisions that um, that will give us that future, um, and just not really dwelling on the past. I mean, I inherited a lot of crazy stuff that just wasn't addressed. Yeah. Um, but it's here. It's you know, I think it was Obama who was like, "No, there's a big puddle on the floor. We're just going to continue to just look at it and say, well, I didn't spill it. Did you spill it? No, you didn't spill it. I spilled it.'" Like you have to just clean it up, like get the work done. I don't care if it's just like a quarter of a sponge, which is what I say is my budget. <laughs> I'm having to work miracles with pennies, but yeah. take that little tiny sponge and just start cleaning up the puddles as little as you can, as much as you can. Yeah. And then prayerfully you will find a successor to continue that work. But it's hard because people don't run for office. Yeah, because of, of what you said earlier is just that stigma of what it means to be a person in public office, what it means to be a politician. But I'm I am positive thinking and I think the example that you are setting, 
I think hopefully will inspire uh, more women, inspire more people of color to run based on your example. And it's like you, you had mentioned earlier what your husband says that what he really loves about you is that you're always trying to be a better person every day. And your analogy kind of sums that up. It's like, even if it's just a little quarter of a sponge, you know, you're just trying to clean up what you can clean up with yours. And instead of saying, oh, I don't have enough, I can't clean it all up. Well, you know, day by day, you can get stuff up. Day by day, it can look clearer. It can be better. So every day or every other right. day, it's going to be better. And that suits you and what you've all talked about. And everything you do is love. Like I hear the love when you talk about the things you get to do. You know, some people say, oh, I have to do this or I have to do this. And I heard you phrasing, well, these are the things I get to do. You know, right. I got I got to deliver food to to seniors. I still get to do story time Tuesday and we still get to do, you know, food, you know, food pantries or food. Uh, we still get to do that. And I, I just I hear it. And it's so powerful for me to hear it as a male, as in a black male. It's powerful for me. But I'm just imagining my daughter who's a middle schooler like again, another set of representation that she could see, I could do that. I can run for office or I can still be me and be eccentric and be funny, but I can still do things that help my community. And, you know, again, if you've never had to worry about representation, it's, it, it, it is like soul exploding when you get to see it. Right. Get to see it in action. So for me, getting to see and hear and talk to you today is such an amazing experience just for me that I hope gets passed on to my listeners. It's just awesome to hear what you do. Uh, listen, I, I hear it all the time. And you said it earlier where, you know, there are more leaders that are emerging that realize that um, that they can take ownership of their community. Um, the first thing that people really need to do is just learn their form of government. Every municipality, every county, every state is run differently. Don't look to the television for meaning of what your community is. Your community is very, very small. It gets smaller. You know, it could be your football team. It could be the PTA. It could get involved in something that helps you understand how your particular community works, you know, where people fit into that community, how do they contribute, and then how can you contribute in a way that's useful? Um, because there's a lot of people that get into politics and they just want to type. They don't really want to do the work. They just want to look good doing bad. Like, mm. you know, and, and then, you know, they'll, they'll be in the shadows, messing stuff up, ego-driven, crazy, you know, look at me, look at me, I'm in the picture. And you could tell those people a mile away. Like, even when you were in high school, like, you knew, like, who the <laughs> posers were. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you knew, like, they were, you know, they're on student council, but they're not really trying to bring programs to you. Like, <laughs> No, this is just a resume for, so I need this for my college resume. Right. You know, it's like the people <laughs> that show up for, you know, they, they need to do community service and they just stand. They take, now it's the social media justice, uh, social justice, social media warriors. They show up to the event, take a picture and head out. And you're like, yeah, okay. 
We right. know not. We know not to deal with them because I've seen a lot right. of those that come to events. Oh, we want to help, and they're in the corner taking a picture next to your sign, and then ten minutes later, you where'd y'all go? Oh, where'd we you have go, to man? leave, you know. But you, but they on social media. Oh, we worked so hard today. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, hashtag blessed. Tell you like straight side eye the whole time. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. It's, it's horrible. It's hard. It's like, it's so many. And you're like, wow. Like, and they get away with it for a while. And mm-hmm. they get caught, but this, they get away with it for a long while. And you're just like, you're not really trying to help people, man. Like, when when it hits the fan, people are going to find out. And it's going to be real bad for you. So, they can't no, say anything. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, they can't say anything about you, though. It hit the fan. <laughs> and like, <laughs> as soon as you started and you was out there, like, so like and I want I want to ask I I know you have some stories like what was it like being a mayor during a global pandemic like what was that how did that affect you first of all oh my Just, god you know cuz <laughs> how did that affect you cuz that had to be a definite mental health just all around situation how did that affect you and how did that affect how you did your job? How is it affecting me? Because it's not over. You're affecting, yes. Um, you know, when it first hit that, I want to say like that first two weeks, I didn't know what to do. I can tell you, I have my kids, I'm my husband, and I was sitting there like, you know, how how do how do we function like? What do you mean there's no school? Am I going to have a job? Like, because being the mayor, I will make $10,000 to be the mayor. So my full-time job is with the union. And I was like, you know, because I have my kids and they have to go to school, it was the same dilemma of all the other women. Like, me being mayor, how much money I had, like, none of that mattered. I was in the that same boat as every other women, woman with kids. And my children were lucky because they had a certified teacher in their household. But what about, you know, people whose parents are from a different country or they dropped out in the fifth grade and people and they can't read? Like illiteracy is still a major problem in this country. And their kids helped them get by. And it's like, I I still felt privileged that I could help my kids through that, but they still struggled. I mean, my, my little one is still going through it. He still is like, I don't want to go to school. Yeah. So what I didn't have a teacher, you know, four months, like I could just stay home with you and we can, and it's like, no, dude, like, you know, I know you were six when it happened. Now you're going to be nine. But his focus on education was definitely impacted. And so we are having to constantly grapple with him to do his extra work when he comes home and, you know, making sure he reads and, you know, gets um, excited about it. Now he's like trying to read for a tour. Like, oh, yeah, let me just read these questions first so I can look for it in the passage and they answer the questions. It's like, no, enjoy the story. I don't want you to just answer the questions. The, the, 
you can answer the questions easily if you enjoy the story. Um, but just having to to grapple with that. My my middle son was a fencer before the pandemic. Pandemic hit. He's like not even interested in it anymore. And he wow. was great at it. And I'm having a fight with him. Like, please go back to fencing. <laughs> like you did an awesome job with um and it's just uh then dealing with the deaths, you yes. know. Um as the mayor, people were like, Will you come or can you write a proclamation? Um, father died. I had one family on my block, I think four of their relatives passed away from COVID. And these are neighbors that I'm never gonna see. Um, we've had homes like, you know, still on the market because the the people who occupied it got or they just couldn't afford the home anymore, so they just left. Um, so just having to deal with that um, is, is still an ongoing issue. Um, and then just seeing so many funerals and so and having to give so many condolences. But on a on a good note, um, what we did do was we had a unity and um, it was marking the death of George Floyd right before Memorial Day. And we asked neighbors for pictures of their loved ones that had gone on and we scrolled them. So everybody that had passed away, um, you would know who in the community was no longer here. And so if you didn't know that they passed away, you wouldn't be um, like insensitive, like, hey, you know, where's Mr. Jenkins? And then, yeah. you know, you go and call or knock on his door and then his wife has to tell you he passed away. Um, it was my attempt to try to let people know who we had lost and who we still owe remembrance to, but also the fact that, you know, death is death. It you know, doesn't matter um, who died. You know, we're all dealing with that death. And yeah, we could talk about social justice and the issues of racism, but me showing who had also died because of systematic failures. That was the common theme. You know, COVID was not handled properly and all those people didn't have to pass away. Same way with people who are dying because of negligence or um, malpractice within the police department, lack of qualified immunity, and um, I'm sorry, implementation of qualified immunity where you, you are allowed to... Um, basically pay for the death of someone through taxpayer dollars. So, you know, you're using taxpayer dollars to compensate for something that we really should be like doctors or lawyers. If you engage in malpractice as a police officer, you should have to get insurance and you should pay for it. But it's still a systematic failure. These are people who did not have to die because socially we did not address these problems. We did not we weren't proactive. We didn't make sure that people were knowledgeable about this or just find a different way to do this. And now we've just politicized a virus. Um, people are, you know, still hurting people over this virus. Um, same thing with school shootings. These are all just systematic failures. And we just owe it to the people who have lost their lives to just pay homage to them and let them know that we still love them as a community. So that was something that, you know, we did here in Hillside that was really, really good. 
Um, Cause I needed people to know like what I've gone through as well. These are the people that I know passed away and you need to know who passed away and their loved ones are here. And, you know, we just need to thank them for being here and acknowledging that person. Yeah. And I want to, even though I'm not a, a resident of New Jersey or Hillside, New Jersey, I want to say thank you for that because so many people have gone and we don't know. And so bringing that to the attention, A, to understand, like you said, it's been a systematic failure, but also B, to help someone not accidentally be insensitive, like you said. Right. And just because they don't know. And so you're full circle trying to make your community better by understanding, okay, this happened and it shouldn't have, but now it happened. Now you know, now there's no excuse to not be respectful and to not reach out and to not understand your community. And so I think that was a wonderful thing. And I hope other people can implement that across the country or across in their communities. That would be awesome for them to do that. And then I also wanted to ask how, as a, as a black woman and in office and in politics, because you, you briefly mentioned George Floyd, how is it for you how do you reconcile what happens in your community, especially in the BIPOC community, especially how do you reconcile that, those feelings and still say, okay, I got to go do my job for everybody. Like, how do you, how does that, how do you do that? Like when you, you know, like when you hear something that happens to George Floyd and we have that collective anger and that frustration and you, it, you just want to cry, but you have this huge overarching position that needs to take care of everything and see it from all aspects. How do you balance those two things? Well, remember, you know, I, I love history. So I read a lot of the struggles of my ancestors and I'm like, I've gone through nothing in comparison to what they've gone through. So I don't have the right to be tired. Um, I'm, I'm in elected office, you know, I'm doing the work to make people see that I want to work, that, you know, I'm not stereotyped. I don't want you to uh, vote for me just because I'm black or just because I'm female, but because I'm a black female that has been missing and I was still doing the work. Um, I've always been in the room, just not acknowledged. And, uh, and that's why it's so important for women and people of color to run for office and get involved because the society has gotten to this place because we were on the margins. It's only going to get better if we step up. So, you know, we can't embrace victimhood. And we can't continue to be passive recipients of government. Like whatever it is that they give us, that's what you're going to get. That That's what happens when you're not involved. And so people say, oh, I don't do politics. So I don't want to be involved in politics. I get that, that it's a conflict arena. But you don't have progress without conflict, right? It, it, Power concedes nothing without a demand. I mean, we know this. 
us. Our ancestors have told us this over and over and over again. And I have to keep going because it's apathy. Apathy is what allows people to kill other people without impunity. You know, it's apathy that allows, you know, the police to be who they are. Like, oh, I don't want to speak out against the police because if I get in trouble, the police won't come. Well, that's a problem. You know, I don't want to speak out against a brother cop because I still have to do that. That's a problem when we're not even protecting police officers who do know who bad officers are, but they don't have a place. Right. And then we vilify the entire police department. We have set up this unfair system because even police people in the police department don't have a voice. They don't have a place to speak their truth. And we don't have a place to protect them so that they can do their jobs and have a quality of life without feeling like, oh, friendly fire, sorry, my bad. And that person was supposed to go and testify or that person, you know, told about an issue of police brutality. And it exists everywhere. It exists in hospitals. Um, I remember when I had my second son, the the, the the doctor and some of the nurses were not treating me equitably. And the black nurses like all came ferreting around like this is what you got to do, this is what you got to have, you know, you need this, need that, you know, ask for that. And, but I had to advocate for myself. But as hospital personnel, yeah. you know that this is happening, but you won't speak about it because you don't have a place to speak about it. And that medical malpractice towards Black women is real. Because it didn't just happen to me once, it happened to me twice. Um, and I have, you know, Black OBGYNs on purpose. But those doctors can't stay all night. You're then left in the hands of hospital personnel and they can mistreat you. Um, but again, it's that apathy. So as an elected, as a mayor, a politician, and this is why I'm so grateful for you having this podcast, you know, I beg people to just open your eyes and look around and ask questions and start to realize that it's not just marching. Like you want to cry, but it's not just marching. If you know anything about the civil rights movement, you had so many people behind the scenes, got no credit. But they were doing the work and pressuring politicians to change laws and make sure they were doing the right things. And they were pulling their money and their resources. And, you know, Black communities actually pulled their money and they paid for who was going to run for office, not a political party. And it's like, but we are, we have gotten so accustomed to political parties feeding us people who represent us. We don't even know who they are. Some people we vote for them, we, they have knocked on your door in, in 30 years <laughs> to ask right. for your vote. Um, and, and we can do better. But, but people have to know that they are valuable and that they're already doing the work. They're just not acknowledged. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially when you say politicians that don't. You don't know them. Now you just get a text message. You just get a random text message that says, hey, vote for us. And I'm like, I don't even know who this person is. Like, it's spam. And right. so it's important, like you said, like that community, it 
you if you know your system of government if you know what you can do you then have the power to get someone in government that you know and will represent you to the fullest and represent you in a positive way which is what government is supposed to be and right i and i thank you for being on air because like i said i want to go to school i want to be in your class like teach a class i want to listen and because it's it's so important it's so important one i i love doing this because this is a digital record more so than this is just a podcast and this is an episode this is a digital piece of history that is going to be it's going to live on on the internet live on on these servers and it's going to impact more than just me more than just who read it or listen and it hopefully it's their children or their friends and so on and so on and you get to keep teaching and get to keep inspiring and because this is that digital record if you had one thing i know it's hard to narrow it down to one thing but if you had one thing to say to communities to little girls little boys people out there you just had one thing to say to them to leave them with something that gets not, not gets them through the day but just something that you would have wanted someone to say to you as a child if you can say that to everyone now and i know it's oh my you, goodness it's putting you on the spot right all right so say something inspiring right now things. like say something deep down to the heart but i want you to leave something that's like truly truly a piece of you something wisdom passed down that you've earned that you want to leave to those that will listen to this episode so a good friend of mine um she told me uh only dead fish go with the flow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so uh, don't let anybody write your narrative. You go out there, you do the work, and you write your own story. Don't let anybody speak for you. Um, and it's hard, you know, but everything is hard until it's easy. Yes. So dead yeah. fish go with the flow. <laughs> and, then, and then always make a decision. So we're talking about decide. That's right. Don't go with the flow and everything's going to be hard till it's not. So those are wise sayings. And some of you may not understand it right now, but as you get older, as you get out there in the world, as you experience more, they will make more and more sense. And it'll just hit okay. you at the most random or opportune time. But it's important. Make a decision. Follow that decision until the end. Don't let people, like uh, the mayor said, don't let people write your narrative for you. And don't always go with the flow. You right. need to stand out. We need dissenters. We need someone to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. And, and I'm not saying being obstructionist at no. all. I'm just saying, because sometimes it is okay. You know, it's what uh, Martin Luther King said. You know, what is popular is not always right. And, and what's right is not always popular. Right. So, you know, you have to, like you said, decide, you know, what makes sense. Sometimes the masses are right. Um, but in those moments where they're not, just be brave enough to stay stand your ground, you know. That's great. That's awesome. Like I'm I'm so like charged up, you know, like you know, woke I was up really late, you know, we're planning a huge community festival. 
that starts tomorrow and ends Sunday. And so we've been like a lot of late nights the past couple months. And I woke up like, okay, I got a good interview today. But I'm so charged up, like just hearing your passion, hearing your love and how you do it daily. Like I'm so charged up for the ready and ready for the rest of the day, ready for tomorrow, everything. So I am, I want to say on behalf of myself as the host, on behalf of the listeners, thank you so much, Mayor Patrice, for being on the show. You were excellent. Everything you had to say just had me like literally sitting and adjusting on my seat. And I think Everyone who listens will be doing the same thing. So thank you for being a part of the Wild Ones podcast. Thank you. And thank you for honoring all of those who share love daily in your work. Thank you. Yes. And quickly before you go, if anyone wanted to reach out or just learn more about you and how you do your community work, uh, could you let everybody know where is the best way they can reach you or if they just want to follow your work? Um, so I do have Facebook and you can look up my name, uh, Dahlia Bertrice, Mayor of Hillside. And then on IG, I'm just Mayor Bertrice. All right. Well, there you go. Follow Mayor Bertrice's work on Instagram and on Facebook. Support her just because of the work that she does. And I want to say as the host of the show, as the host of the Wild Ones podcast, again, you can find us on Apple, on Spotify on Anchor, Google Music, pretty much anywhere where you can download a podcast. And if you want to contact me about this episode, you can contact me on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok where I try to hang out with the young folks. So thank you. (laughs) So thank you for being a part of this episode with me. Thank you for listening. And as always, everyone, peace.